BlackRock has made an alteration to their spot Bitcoin ETF application, and the revision might be significant. Good morning. You're listening to the Rise and Crypto podcast by Cointelegraph with me, Robert Bags, steering you through the crypto cosmos with daily dispatches from the digital frontier. If you want to argue with US presidential candidates over digital assets, make sure you click that follow button. Okay, grab yourself a coffee and let's get into it. Right, here is what you need to know today. The crypto exchange KuCoin is set to ban all New York residents in a new $22 million settlement. Several US presidential candidates slam Joe Biden and Donald Trump over digital assets. At the same time, Trump launches his third series of NFTs called Mugshots. SPF's lawyer says the trial was almost impossible to win. And BlackRock has made a massive revision to their spot Bitcoin ETF application. The crypto exchange KuCoin, quick side note, before you start shouting at me about my pronunciation of KuCoin, the exchange did a poll on Twitter and 65% of people said they say KuCoin, but QCoin is very common too. Anyway, the exchange is one of the biggest in the space and they have just agreed to a settlement that bans New York residents from the platform completely. To understand how we got here, you need to know why KuCoin has been and is still so popular. As Tom Blackstone wrote in this article, KuCoin does over $1 billion in volume every day and has over over 2 million weekly visits, according to CoinGecko. In my opinion, one of the main reasons it reached these heights is that many people in crypto, particularly some years back, saw it as an exchange for the purists. It was known for its pro-privacy, honoring the anonymous, or really pseudonymous, foundations of crypto and not requiring any forms of KYC or AML, which is know your customer or anti-money laundering checks. It only accepted crypto for both deposits and withdrawals, so it didn't need any banking partners who would have definitely pushed for KYC and AML. You could still verify your account if you wished, but it was only required if you wanted to withdraw more than 5 BTC, which is a little over $200,000 at the time of writing this, so not many users will ever do that. The entailment of this is that users from countries where KuCoin did not have a license would create accounts on the exchange, and KuCoin had no way of knowing that that was the case. Now, ignorance is rarely accepted as an excuse in crypto, and you can likely see where the problems are going to arise here, and arise they have. The people of the state of New York versus KuCoin yesterday ended in a settlement that saw KuCoin pay $22 million and agree to bar residents from the state from using the platform. According to the order, KuCoin admits that it operates a cryptocurrency trading platform on which users, including users in New York State, can purchase or sell cryptocurrencies, which are securities or commodities as defined under the laws of New York State, and that KuCoin is not registered as a securities or commodities broker dealer. In addition, KuCoin admits that it represented itself as an exchange and was not registered as an exchange pursuant to the laws of New York State. As Tom said to me, the wording here shouldn't be overlooked. The KuCoin settlement is interesting, partly because of the language used in it. The settlement did not claim that KuCoin was operating an unregistered money transmitter service, which would have been the obvious legal claim to make against the exchange. Instead, KuCoin agreed in the settlement that it had operated an exchange which facilitated the sale of securities or commodities. This implies that KuCoin has agreed that at least some of the cryptocurrencies it sold were subject to regulation as either commodities or securities. This implies that New York is becoming more aggressive against offshore unlicensed exchanges, as it is now seeking to regulate them as commodities or securities exchanges, rather than just as money transmitter services as it had in the past. 
The 2024 US presidential election race has been heating up recently, and yesterday some of that heat was thrown at Biden and Trump over digital assets. Turner Wright penned an article on this yesterday, and I'm going to let him introduce what happened. So we had two Republican presidential candidates and one Democratic presidential candidate gather in New Hampshire to discuss issues related to digital assets and blockchain. And my main takeaway from all of this is, while it's interesting to educate lawmakers on this matter, the two Republican candidates in attendance were Vivek Rabaswamy and Asa Hutchinson. Uh, both are trailing significantly behind Donald Trump, according to every major poll. The same goes for Congressman Dean Phillips, who is uh, vying with Biden to be the Democratic nominee, and he's also trailing far behind him, according to polls. So while it's uh, it's interesting to get these lawmakers out there and more involved in the space, we're not exactly going to see significant policy changes uh, because it's unlikely that any of them are going to be the next president. So what exactly was said? The most noteworthy comments, really the ones that grabbed all of the headlines, were by Dean Phillips, a United States House of Representatives member, and he's running against Joe Biden for the Democratic nomination in the 2024 election. Here are some of the things he said. The two leading candidates right now, on both the left and the right, for the US presidency are absolutely not in positions to understand it it being crypto. Prepare us for it, anticipate it, and lead us into the next century. Biden and Donald Trump, at their age and stage of life, are simply not the right people to lead us forward. While I would agree with Philip's sentiments here, the way he's expressed it is a touch uncomfortable. There are plenty of people in that age bracket that have taken the time to understand digital assets, albeit as a percentage of crypto natives, they are small. Phillips also added, it is not irresponsible or unreasonable to think that your government would do two things at once, both consider regulations, but at the same time, consider how transformative in a positive way it can be. As you can undoubtedly tell, I'm from the other side of the Atlantic. But even as an outsider, with Biden, it doesn't seem unfair to suggest he's not clued up on digital assets. I think the same could be said about Trump, though Trump fans are going to point to one thing in particular, and in some fortuitous timing, that point is newly relevant again. So you may remember that back in April, Donald Trump released his own line of NFTs, which sold out in mere hours. I took some convincing back then that these NFTs were genuinely Donald Trump's, but they were. To put into perspective exactly how well they did, he sold 47,000 Trump digital collectibles at $99 each, hauling $4.65 million. Well, yesterday he was back at it again, announcing the third series of NFTs in a drop he calls Mugshot. The developers explained the thinking behind this divisive collection. They said, On Thursday the 24th of August 2023, President Trump was formally arrested in Fulton County, Georgia. This is a moment in history. It's the first ever mugshot of a United States president. In the photo, Trump has a furrowed brow with a determined gaze which says he'll never surrender. Trump doubled down on this sentiment in a promotion video too. The 45th president of the United States is challenging for a non-consecutive second term in office, but running parallel to his campaign are these legal woes that the NFT collection allude to. This year, Trump has been indicted at both state and federal level on allegations of business fraud among other charges. There are 91 in total. Still, he seems to be taking those rather well and continues his unconventional campaign. Sam Bankman-Fried was found guilty on all charges, and now his defence lawyer has been interviewed by Bloomberg and has had some damning things to say about the case. Professor David Mills of Stanford Law School took SPF's case as a favour to friends. Those friends are SPF's parents, but has now admitted the case was 
almost impossible to win. He stated that when three or four founders are pointing the finger at you, even if they were lying, you're pretty much screwed. To add insult to injury, Mills said that SBF was, and I quote, the worst person I've ever seen do a cross-examination. As with all high-profile legal cases, the answers to expected questions in cross-examination are typically scripted far in advance, but SBF apparently threw the script out of the window and went completely off-piste. Interestingly, the route that Mills wanted to take SBF's defence in this case was not viable. Mills recommended that SBF admitted to many of the charges, but tried to convince the jury that SBF was truly trying to save the company from bankruptcy. Mills said, I thought there was a really good story there, but he can't tell the story that all these people are lying. You've got five people who say one thing and then one person who says another thing. Well, you've got no shot zero. Mills also said that he'll never take a case on again where he's so emotionally invested. So for now, we just have to wait for sentencing, which is coming on the 28th of March 2024 and is highly likely to be brutal. Finally, there's a really interesting update with the BlackRock Spot Bitcoin ETF application. At this point, I don't think I need to give much of a backstory with the Spot Bitcoin ETF applications, but listen to past episodes if you're curious. The most important detail is that we expect the SEC to make a decision on the 13 different ETF applications in January. One of these 13, and really the leader of the pack in many ways, is BlackRock. It may seem late in the day to make changes, and it is, but BlackRock has revised its application and it has the potential to be a significant alteration. The application now includes a new in-kind redemption prepay model. Look, I'd recommend reading Braden Lindrea's article on this. It's linked in the show notes as there are some accompanying flow diagrams that kind of help with this explanation. But what this new model does is it allows authorized participants to transfer cash to a broker dealer, which converts it to Bitcoin and then stores it in the ETF's custody provider, which in this case is Coinbase Custody. As Braden says, the new structure also works by shifting risk away from authorized participants and placing it more in the hands of the market makers. Okay, if like me, you're not not a trader, you might be struggling to follow the entailments here, so I'm going to give you a simple synopsis. This new model will allow highly regulated banks to participate in the spot Bitcoin ETF despite not being allowed to hold Bitcoin themselves. This confused me at first because the whole point of an ETF is to invest in things you don't hold yourself, but it seems this extra layer is necessary in the upper echelons of finance as it shifts a lot of the risk to the market makers. Interestingly, and this is something BlackRock highlights, this new model also adds market manipulation resistance, which has been one of the SEC's chief concerns with crypto. Right, that is your daily debrief complete. Consider yourself informed. Thank you for listening to the Rise in Crypto podcast by Cointelegraph. If you're enjoying these daily updates, please make sure you let us know by following, subscribing or leaving a review. Additionally, if you have any thoughts on any of the stories today, tweet us on at Cointelegraph or at RKBags. Have a great day. Let's do this again tomorrow.